football game that if I wanted to be really stylish and really cool, I'd have to buy a Lexus. You've seen this Lexus commercial? Our old Camry and our Mazda 3 are not enough to make us really cool. Of course, the TV and the magazines, the ads that I see tell me that if I'm a real man, I have to drive a big SUV or truck like Jim Grinnell. The truth is, you know what, I'll probably never get a good night's sleep again unless I have my pillow. And then I saw that if I really want to enjoy the spring season, I had to dress for the spring season, and that the only place that I could really do that right was to go to Dillard's. And I knew I wouldn't have a chance to go to Dillard's that week, and I don't have these kinds of things in my closet. So you'll just have to settle for drab old Bill this morning. Suddenly, the beautiful spring weather didn't seem that beautiful anymore. I just wasn't dressed for it. And the more I watched sports and the more I watched the ads, I realized it didn't get any better at all. I learned that I needed to be opening my mail with a lino letter opener. Never heard of such a thing. Have you? It's only $60 plus shipping for a letter, letter opener. You know, the only opener that I have is the one that our insurance company here at the church sent me, the Church Mutual. And uh, I hardly ever use that anyway. I, I open most of my mail with my fingers like an animal, you know. Now even my mail was disappointing. I liked my house until I saw an ad for a new development. I even thought I loved my wife, but since I hadn't bought her a diamond necklace from the jewelry store, I was informed that I didn't really love her. Sorry, Barb, for you to learn that after almost 39 years of marriage. I found out I can't even be romantic with my wife unless I uh, use Sylvania light bulbs. There's just something about that lighting. And wouldn't you know it, we have generic Walmart bulbs. So by the time I got done watching TV, I wasn't just depressed, I needed counseling. I was very discontent with the state of my life. Anybody ever felt that way? Discontent with the state of your life, anything about it? It's the sad fruit of living a life of coveting what we don't have. James chapter 4, verses 1 and 2 says, What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this? that your passions are at war within you. You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. What's at the root of so much sin? If we're honest with ourselves, if we're honest with each other, we want it all. We want it all. There are passions. There are strong feelings and emotions about the things we want. And as James wrote, These feelings are at war within us. And the result, taken to the extreme, can be extreme discontentment, resulting in things like murder and fights and quarrels. But there's a lesser discontentment that we deal with that maybe we don't take it to that extreme, but it's discontentment nonetheless. And we want what we don't have, and we're discontent as a result. This is true in a lot of ways, and not just with things. As a rule, man's a fool. When it's hot, he wants it cool. When it's cool, he wants it hot, always wanting what is not. This is just one simple example. But isn't it true? We have the hot weather here in the summer, and we complain about how terribly hot it is, except when it's cold, when we gripe about it being a little bit too cold. Gee, if only it were a little warmer. 
if only it were a little cooler. We all struggle to some degree or another with the, what I call the if-onlys. If only I had this thing, then life would be easier or better. If only this circumstance would change, then I'd be good. You know, there's a story of a rich industrialist who was kind of disturbed to find a fisherman sitting and relaxing beside his boat. He wasn't fishing. He said, why aren't you out there fishing? Because I've caught enough fish for today. Well, why don't you catch more fish than you need? And he said, what would I do with them? Well, you could earn more money. The industrialist was getting a little impatient with the guy about about this point. You can buy a better boat so you could go deeper. You could catch more fish. You could buy nylon nets. You could catch more fish still and make more money. And soon you'd have a fleet of boats and you'd be rich like me. And the fisherman asked, well, then what would I do? And he said, well, then you could sit down and relax and enjoy life. He said, what do you think I'm doing now? This helps to illustrate what the Apostle Paul wrote about in Philippians. This is our main text this morning. He wrote, beginning in the, verse of, uh, in the middle of verse 11 of Philippians chapter 4, I have learned, I have learned to be content, whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do everything through him who gives me strength. Now, let me throw in a little caveat before we move along. This is one of the reasons I struggle with doing this message, because I'm so well aware of all the struggles that are going on. We have illnesses. We have hospitalizations. We have rebellious children and grandchildren. We have all these, we have deaths, you know, with the last. Are we supposed to be content with that? Are we supposed to be content with all these things? Let me say that I do not believe that these things are mutually exclusive, okay? The idea is that, yes, we need to learn contentment, but no, that doesn't mean we can't pray to improve our circumstances, that we can't pray for healing, that we can't pray for grace and circumstances to change. It's both and. I don't think it's an either or. I think it's a both and. So with that little caveat, let me move on. Paul started in this passage by noting that he had learned to be content. He said he had learned. He'd learned through circumstances. And the Holy Spirit had illuminated those circumstances to the point where Paul was able to see those circumstances as being from the hand of God. They were for his benefit. And they were for his benefit so he could learn contentment. So Paul could learn. I guess that means we can learn too. Paul was just a guy like us willing and ready to be used by the Lord. He called it a secret, but it's not a secret anymore to those of us who are in Christ. Because, and here's where our sermon title comes in this morning, we have it all. We have it all already. Today, we have it all. When we're in Christ, we have it all. I'd like to be able to put a sign on my door to dissuade people from selling door to door. You see what the sign says there? He's knocking on the door and he's like, oh, we have everything. I'd also like to be able to put that on my answer machine, better still, because we don't get that many door-to-door, but we get all kinds of solicitors on the phone. Comedian Stephen Wright once said, you can't have everything. Where would you put it? But we believers in Christ can and do have everything. We have everything we need in him. 
All of us have wants and needs, and when they're not met, sometimes we find ourselves growing discontented. You want that vacation. You want that boat. Well, ultimately, when you want those things, what you're really wanting is rest and recreation. And Jesus said in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. You're wanting a promotion or a raise so you can make more money. Ultimately, what you're wanting is security when you want that. So we have that too in Christ. We read in Psalm chapter 62, verse 6, He alone is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress. I will not be shaken. What if we're wanting friendship or we're needing companionship or relationship? We read in Deuteronomy chapter 31, verse 6, Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified because of them. For the Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave you or forsake you. What a tremendous promise that is. He will never leave you or forsake you. And then in Matthew 28, 20, Jesus himself said, And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. What about when we need comfort? A lot of us need comfort these days. Well, we read in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 and 4, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. So you get the idea here, huh? There's nothing we want, there's nothing we need that we cannot find our contentment in Christ. Nothing. How about this? If we desire love, it is found in his spread arms on the cross. If we want hope, it is found in his resurrection. If we seek peace, it is found in his blood shed for us. If we seek joy, it is given in his spirit. Happiness, it is found in knowing what awaits us. How about power? You will rule with him forever. Are you hungry? He is the bread of life. Are you thirsty? He is the living water. Do you want wisdom? He is the fount. Knowledge, he holds it in his hand. Riches, we are made co-heirs with him. We can be content, folks. We can be content because life's circumstances aren't in charge. God is. God's the one who's in charge. And we, as believers in Jesus, are in him. So having it all for the believer in Christ isn't based on independence. It's not doing it ourselves. The foundation is our dependence on him. When Paul writes about learning contentment, he's not saying that he's above the circumstances or that circumstances don't matter. It's not mind over matter. It's not wishful thinking. It's not positive thinking. The circumstances are real. And often the circumstances are hard. We can admit that. We can be real about that. He's just saying that he and we can, in the midst of those circumstances, trust the one in whom we have it all. We're not independent. Not at all. We're dependent. We are so dependent. We are totally and completely dependent on him. Paul also wrote that to live is Christ. So it's not about finding self-satisfaction. It's not about finding self-fulfillment. It's not about finding self-sufficiency. It's about being Christ-satisfied. 
It's about being fulfilled in Jesus. It's about God sufficiency. This is what makes contentment possible. Now, our culture, our world, fights us with this attitude of contentment. It tries to make us discontent. Every billboard, every TV commercial, every web ad says to us, you deserve more. You need more. You can have it all, implying that you need this thing, whatever they're advertising, right? That's one reason that contentment is like nailing jello to the wall. Anybody ever tried to nail jello to the wall? Let me tell you, it doesn't work. I've never tried it. I just assume that. I guess it'd have to be really stale jello to stick to the wall, wouldn't it? But think about it. As soon as we think we've got this contentment thing down, we see something on TV or hear something from someone else, and then that jello's dribbling down the wall. And we're thinking, I want that. Note, too, that Paul in Philippians chapter 4 repeats both the phrase, I know, and I've learned twice in this section in the space of three verses. That says to me that Paul is indicating that the years he's known God have given him plenty of opportunities in many different circumstances, both good circumstances and bad, to learn contentment. So Paul's voice here is the voice of experience. Paul says that he's learned from these experiences, not only how to cope with good and bad in life, but how to triumph about having the mindset that Jesus is Lord over our circumstances, that he rules and reigns in our lives, and we can rest content in that. So because Paul first says that he's learned contentment, that says to me that contentment doesn't come only because we decide to be content. It doesn't come primarily as an act of our will, though, of course, when we do learn something, we have to decide we must will to use what we have learned. It comes as a result of what we'll see a few verses later. It's a gift. It's a gift. It's a gift of God's grace. And how is it a gift of God's grace? Through him. Through him, which we can learn to use in our lives. And as we move on, we also see that contentment doesn't come because of circumstances. Paul says he learned to be content regardless, regardless of what the circumstances in his life were. Now, it's important to remember the immediate context of this passage of Scripture. It's clearly material provision. It's things, and specifically money. So we have to apply it to that too, certainly. But I don't think it's stretching Scripture at all to note that this contentment that Paul learned goes beyond the contentment with material things that the context is indicating. That's why it says, whatever circumstances, whatever state. And later in verse 12, it says, in any and every situation, or everywhere and in all things. I don't believe Paul meant to confine this contentment simply and only to material things, although it certainly does apply to that. That's the context. That's the primary meaning. But there's the abundant witness of Scripture in other places that confirm Paul's lesson here about contentment applying to all of our life. In fact, the very Greek word that he used for content makes it clear that it includes any and every circumstance. The word here means independent of external circumstances and applies both to material 
and non-material things. Here's one commentary's explanation of this word for content. It says, the Greek literally expresses independent of others and having sufficiency in oneself. It's a word that the Stoics use, but Christianity has raised the term above the haughty self-sufficiency of the heathen Stoic to the contentment of the Christian whose sufficiency is not in self, but in God. If we're honest with ourselves, and if we're honest with God, we'd all have to admit that there's discontent, at least in some areas of our lives. Some years ago, there was a story in U.S. News and World Report, and some of the information in this story is probably just as relevant today as it was then. The story was about the so-called American dream. Think of what you think of when you think of the American dream. I guess that dream, for most of us, would include maybe owning your own home, or uh, certainly it would include having all of your material needs met, but also having enough to do maybe all the things you really want to do, not just the things you need, and having all the things you really wanted to have. So the story said that for Americans with household incomes of under $25,000, polls showed that these people believed it would take $54,000 to fulfill the American dream in their lives. And the same survey also showed that for those people who make $100,000, they felt like they needed to earn $192,000 for their version of the American dream. So the actual numbers aren't as really as important as the reality that most people think the American dream <clears throat> usually lies about twice the distance away, at least financially, right? I got to have twice as much as I have to fulfill the American dream in my life. Think of people you know, maybe you think of yourself, but think of people you know who might fit into this category, who are sometimes or maybe often looking to their circumstances in their lives and saying, if only, if only this, if only that, if only I were older, if only I were younger, if only I were taller, if only I were better looking, if only I had a boyfriend, if only I had a girlfriend, if only I had a husband, if only I had a wife, if only I made more money, if only I had a bigger house, if only I had such and such a kind of car, if only they do this at church, if only Bill preached more often, if only Bill preached a lot less often, if only my parents did this, if only my kids did this, if only I had a different job. We could go on and on, couldn't we, with examples, but you get the idea. We think, or we see people think, if only this or that, then I'd be content. If only this or that were true in my life, then I'd be content. Then I'd be at peace. Then I'd be happy. Then, and we try to spiritualize it, right? Then I'd be able to serve the Lord, right? I'd be able to serve the Lord with no distractions. I remember a man who used to attend TCF years ago he was very well practiced with the if-onlys. He was never happy. He was never content. You know, he always wanted a particular job with a particular company in town. And he went through a series of jobs, but every time he changed jobs, he always applied to this one company because he thought, and even said to me at one point, if only I could get a job at this company. That's what he said. And the implication was clearly, then I'd be content. So a few years after he left TCF, he actually landed a job at his quote-unquote dream company. But guess what? 
I saw him a year or so after he started this dream job, and he had already come up with another, if only. He didn't like the job that he'd pined for for years, and he wanted out. Now, again, if we're honest with ourselves, we have to confess, I have to confess, that with my hard head, I've had to learn with experience over time, and I guess that puts me in pretty good company because Paul learned from experience over time too, some of these same kinds of lessons about contentment in life. I often wonder what might have been different in my life if I was content in various seasons and various things to wait on God for certain things, to trust Him with my circumstances. And again, that's not to say that it's not okay to seek to improve our circumstances, to pray for healing, to seek to change things that are hard, okay? But discontentment can cause us to be distracted from God's purposes for our lives. And that's the irony, considering what we noted a moment ago. A lot of times we think, well, if, I'd, if only this would happen, then I could really serve the Lord. But the opposite is true. If you're distracted, your plans are going to meander all over the place. Your life will be more and more chaotic. We all can all think, uh, probably all of us have at least two or three people kind of rumbling around in our minds. Boy, that, I, I just, that describes this person well. Now, God can and does redeem our restless discontentment, and I'm glad that he does. Through several life experiences, he's taught me that my source of strength, he taught me that without him, I can do nothing of kingdom value. That's consistent with what it says in John chapter 15, verse 5, where Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear fruit, Apart from me, you can do nothing. That's pretty humbling, isn't it? Apart from me, you can do what? Nothing. Nothing of any value comes apart from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. But first, I needed to learn to be content where I was and to serve him exactly where he had planted me for that season. And my challenge was I imposed my discontentment, my if-onlys on his plan for my life. Now, looking back now, with the wisdom of hindsight, I, can't, I can really see that I wasn't ready for the kind of service that God was preparing me for, especially I think of a season in my life in the late 80s and early 90s when I really wanted to be in some kind of full-time ministry, which I thought would be related to my media training. And I was working, uh, I had my own public relations agency, and I thought that that's what God wanted for me. I applied for jobs, but the truth is, God had more training for me. He had more for me to learn. So there was a real value. I can see now. Then I couldn't so much. But I can see now there was a real value in waiting, in being content that I couldn't see then. So, again, I'm going to compare myself to Paul. It took years to learn that secret of how to gain contentment. But I did learn it, at least in this area. Well, I'm guessing Paul probably learned it a lot faster than I did. And I have to be honest, and I have to admit, as I'm sure all of us do, there are still some areas of my life where I still haven't quite learned contentment. I guess my head's still thick because I already know the secret. I already know the secret, right? And we read it again in Philippians chapter 4. Paul said in verse 12 that he's learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. The words, I have learned the secret, 
translate a word which occurs only here in the entire New Testament. In the mystery religions of the day, it was a technical term, and it meant to initiate into the mysteries. Now, Paul's use of the words here suggests a kind of initiation by his experience into the secret of contentment. Of course, Paul's initiation included things that most of us don't want to have as part of our initiation. Paul was in prison, wasn't he? He wrote this letter to the Philippians from prison. Paul experienced beatings. He experienced shipwreck. Well, I had an initiation too, but it didn't include prison, thank the Lord. The experiences Paul had and the experiences I had and the experiences that you have are part of what God uses in our lives to get to that big secret, which again, isn't really much of a secret anymore since Paul wrote it down for us to share in. The last verse in this passage, revealing this secret we're focusing on this morning, is probably among the top five most abused and misused passages of Scripture in the Bible. Verse 13 of Philippians 4 says, I can do everything through him who gives me strength. Of course, much of the abuse of Scripture comes because we apply verses not just incorrectly, but selfishly. Verse 13 here is no exception. So we have to, again, consider the context here. In our house church, when we review passages of Scripture, we are always saying context, context. We're always looking at the context because that helps us interpret Scripture rightly. There's a right way to interpret Scripture, and there's a wrong way to interpret Scripture. Verse 13, here's no exception. That context is just what we've been looking at this morning, contentment. How often have you heard this verse pulled out of context had nothing to do with contentment. It says, I can do everything through Christ. And that means anything from I can be an NBA basketball player to I can be a wealthy man to, you know, we've heard this, haven't we? We've seen it again and again. The Life Application Bible has a good note on this verse. It says, can we really do everything? The power we receive in union with Christ is sufficient to do His will and to face the challenges that arise from our commitment to doing it. He does not grant us superhuman ability to accomplish anything we can imagine without regard to his interests. I think that's what that verse is talking about. So we really miss the point when we pervert this verse, as surely all of us have heard it misused, to say we can do anything we want, including not just meeting our needs and our wants, but often meeting our greeds apart from God's will for us. A more literal translation of this would be, I have strength for all things. I like that. I have strength for all things through Christ who strengthens me. How do we have that strength? We have it through Christ. We have it through Christ. He's our source of strength to be content. He's our source of power for anything in life. Why? Because in Christ, we already have it all. We already have it all because of our relationship with Him, because of our living union with Jesus and our identification with Him, we have the power to do something we wouldn't otherwise be able to do. We can be content when things are bad, really bad. My goodness, Peter sang praises to the Lord while he was in prison. 
It's hard to sing praises if you're not walking in some sort of contentment, right? Paul wrote these words about contentment from a prison cell. We can be content when things are good. That's a little easier. But the good, the bad, and the ugly are all under his authority. We can rest in him because he pours into us the power to do just that, to rest in him, to be content. Paul was saying that changing circumstances do not affect my contentment. I wish I could say that. But that's the secret. We can do all things through Christ. Don't you wish you could say that? Or at least, don't you wish you could say it more often or more consistently in your life? I sure do. Our problem is not that we want contentment. Wanting contentment is a very real, very honest thing, isn't it? But the problem is that we look for contentment in all the wrong places. What does our discontentment say about us? What does it say about our faith? What does it say about our God and what we think of Him? We pursue prosperity. We pursue fame. We pursue significance, even on a minor scale in our personal lives. We seek power. We seek position. We pursue belonging. We pursue identity. We pursue affirmation. And in all these things we pursue, we hope to find contentment in them. But it's fleeting. And those things are not really in these things. Contentment is not in those things. Unless we find our contentment in Christ Jesus, we never really had it. It wasn't real. It wasn't real contentment. If we find contentment in any of these things, it's not real contentment. Contentment is not gained through any efforts that we might have. It's not gained by our circumstances or by others or by things. Contentment is already available in Christ and only through Christ in the strength he gives us to do all things. So we can all say this morning, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Let's remember that context, folks. Let's remember that the context of I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, the context is contentment. It's resting in him. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me because I already have it all in Christ. Amen? Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for revealing to us the secret of contentment. And Father, we want to cling to that secret. We want to cling to you. We want to be content in you because we have it all. We have all the things we need, Lord. We have all the things we need in you. So help us to look to you as our source and not to people, not to circumstances, not to things. And Father, help us to look to you as our source of contentment. Help us to rest in you, Father. Even as we look to change difficult circumstances, Father, and seek you for that, help us at the very same time to be content because we have it all in you, Lord God. May your spirit work these things in our hearts, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.